Welcome to Mastering Your Exit Strategy. I'm your host, Christine Trumbull, a certified exit planning advisor, CPA, and certified tax strategist. I've spent the last 30 years working with owners to grow and scale their businesses, and then went on to help my own husband grow his. After his passing, I moved to the next chapter, ensuring seamless transitions for family-owned and closely held businesses. Each week, we are talking to experts about growth and transition, so you can not only simplify exiting your business, but also get as much wealth out of your business as possible. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. Today's guest, Chelsea Kim, is the founder and head of marketing and operations at Bella, a lifestyle brand with the first conversational bank 100% powered by love. Bella is challenging the status quo and building their karma army by focusing on kindness, love, inclusivity, and equality while putting community and connection first. With years of experience helping to build startups in Silicon Valley, Chelsea is bringing her expertise to banking and creating a positive impact for their community and the world at large. As you are aware, the banking industry is a very male-dominated industry. And, uh, <laughs> good answer. Uh, and you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm a CPA. Mm-hmm. I've been in the, you know, the quote unquote finance industry for a lot longer than I'm going to, you know, say on this episode, <laughs> but she's you know, it was, she's very young. Don't yeah. It was very male dominated <laughs> when I started. It's still very male dominated and the banking industry is, is also, especially very male dominated, but, but you're thrive and tech as well. And you're thriving in these industries and you have been thriving in the, in these industries. So what are some of the challenges that you've faced, but as, as a woman in tech first and now banking, well, in FinTech? I think it, it really comes down to opportunities. And unfortunately, I think that's the case with most women is if you can get in the room, you can make a difference, right? But it's getting in that room and being able to have that that backing. And I think in this particular instance with Bella, I was really lucky to have a bunch of men that were in that room believe in me and give me an opportunity to use my voice. And that's what I provide to the women that I work with because I've mm-hmm. gotten in the room. It's my job to pull them up alongside me. And I think right. that's something that women especially are getting better at. And it's no longer a competition and it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be that we're actually more powerful when we support each other. And so right. I've seen that especially evolve even in the last, say, 10 years of my experiences and in the tech world to the fintech world and finance in general, that women are are trying a lot harder to help each other. And if one person can get a toe in the door, another person might be able to get four toes in the, in the door and then a foot, Mm -hmm. and you're able to pull each other along with you and really create a difference. So I think that's been the biggest change that I've seen. Um, But for me, like I said, it was, it was getting that opportunity and having, having male backers that would believe in you and would be an advocate yeah. for you. Stay, so I ended up at a meeting. If you started to say something, someone talked to you, like, excuse me, I think Chelsea had something to say because right. it's, it's really hard to do that for yourself and not be labeled a certain way. Right. Yeah. I've definitely seen in, in back in the day when I first started and probably the first decade, it was very competitive, even especially among the women, because there were very few opportunities. Absolutely. So we were constantly competing against each other and it was not a very nurturing or encouraging environment. But I have without a doubt seen such a huge change, like you said, in women supporting women 
Uh, and it and it is it is truly making a difference. So, what other changes do you see happening for women in these industries? I think that it depends on how you enter it as well. So, mm-hmm. for myself, I came in for the customer success side of things. That was when customer success was a net new experience, right? Nobody knew what right. that was. It was sort of this fake tech name that they put onto you know. What, are you an account manager? Are you renewals? Are you sales? Are you are you customer support? But like you're kind of doing right. all of this. So that was at the time when, I mean, customer success had been around maybe a few years. Nobody really knew. Every job was different. And it gave me the opportunity and many others to sort of formulate what that meant for them and who was going to be hired into it. Traditionally, I think you have very typical female to male roles in companies, right? Often, if you think about HR, you think about a woman. If you think about a CEO, you think about a man. If you think about sales, it's most likely a male leading it. There might be some women on the team, but these are gender roles that are because of the history, right? It's who was hired into that. And then there's the the sort of fallback of, well, they have more experience because they have been there longer. But giving an opportunity to sort of shake that up is mm-hmm. a big deal. And I think I've seen a lot more of that as well. And once women mm-hmm. get into those places, going back to that support piece, they're shaking it up too. And they're saying, I'm right. going to take a chance on you. You may not have direct experience on paper. You may not mm-hmm. have been in sales of regional sales director for a Microsoft or a, a Amazon or any of these other tech companies. But I know that you could sell yourself if you can get into that interview. I know that you're going right. to fight for this. I'm going to give you a shot. And then it's your your opportunity to lose at that point. But getting someone right. to, to allow you to do that, I think, is something that's also been changing. And especially at Bella, we do that. Um, the people that we hire don't necessarily have direct experience in the things that we're hiring them into. Mm-hmm. Now, with the banking side of things, of course, we need people who understand fraud and compliance. And that's, of course, going to be people that have those experience levels. <laughs> but sure. but <laughs> things like, you know, coming into a fintech or even a technology company, do you need to have traditional experience in tech or fintech to be able to know how to do support roles? And then once you learn support and you learn how the company works and you learn how the technology works, it's very easy to transition out of that into a new role and into a new space. And that's how I did it. I came into customer success to find what that was, then took on technical account managing, and then built my own industry alongside a business development rep, and then ran that industry. That was one way that I got into tech. And then another company, I came in as the first person that was any sort of business oriented. Everyone was engineers or chemists or mechanical engineers that were defining what this product was going to be. It was a physical hardware product. And I came in to do the paperwork side of things, right? I was like the admin of the office and I didn't know what I was doing. I was creating processes for POs and became you know, the operations person. And then we brought in finance and I trained up on all of the accounting and bookkeeping and working alongside those people to bring that in-house at higher teams. And then we brought in a CFO and I worked directly with the CEO to do scoping projects and, pr- and proposals and sales. And so the more that you can kind of prove your experience, the more mm-hmm. you can expand and then you can build right. teams along behind you. And that's sort of right. what my path was. It doesn't mean it's the best or the only path. I have friends that were in consulting and that got them the opportunity to dabble in a lot of different companies and projects because they were able to step in for a project, see how it ran, really get mm-hmm. up on the tech, understand that and be able to come at it from the side and then join companies because they've already had these experiences and they could prove that, hey, it may not have been a linear path, but I know how to do this. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you know what, that I have to say, that's the same thing that actually ended up being the definition of my career. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm finding that the women who are able to be successful in some of these male dominated industries are the ones that were willing to, as you said, dabble in a project or in a different position or, and take the time to learn how to do something mm-hmm. outside of their wheelhouse, outside of the, the their comfort zone so that they can get the experience and the experiences that they can take and go, yeah, it's, I, you know, it, again, like you said, it may not be linear, but I know how to do it. I've had experience with it. I've been exposed to it. I know what you're talking about. Uh, yes. And it, and it really does open some of those doors for them. Certainly did for me. Yeah, um, I think- and it, and it, Go ahead. Oh, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, (laughs) I was just going to say, you know, it it also comes down to unpaid work. And I think that that's a big thing that women have to sort of balance. Mm -hmm. We often take the opportunity to have unpaid work of creating the social culture clubs or the diversity inclusion. And these are things that, to be honest, most executives don't care about. It's not something that is going to help you perpetuate your career. It's going to be something that maybe gets you visibility or value amongst your peers, but it's not going to progress you, right? Right. So you need to think about what you're spending your unpaid hours on. And if it's Mm -hmm. getting those exposures to opportunities that are going to progress your career, that's not actually unpaid work. That's investing in yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Go ahead. What else? (laughs) I feel like I'm just talking so much. (laughs) Well, that's the idea of a podcast. (laughs) You are perfectly fine. (laughs) Nothing like a good podcast where the interviewee doesn't talk to you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One word answers. Yeah. That's my nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Do you you know what you wanted to add? (laughs) No, yeah, I was just going to say um, on the Bella side of things, it's mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a, an interesting space. And I've said this before that my goal was to create the company I always wanted to work for. Okay. And I have, thankfully, I have two co-founders that are very supportive of this. And we actually put it into our KPIs for the company in our first year. And now mm-hmm. we're, of course, heading into our second year. But the idea was to have more than 50% female Uh, or non-male, we'll say, and more than 50% non-white. And I think that that alone is a really big thing for an executive team to put down Mm -hmm. and say, Mm -hmm. this is how we're going to hire. And I don't care if you bring me 100 applicants that are white men, you you better have 300 more that are not. (laughs) And I'm not going to pick solely on that because the pipeline's where it starts, right? And so people have to be thinking about that, but you also have to represent that in everything you do because you could say that. And then if you go and you look on the, you know, the team page of the website and it's all a bunch of the same faces, then you're not really, you're not doing what you're preaching. And people can tell that and it becomes inauthentic. And our brand is entirely built on authenticity. And if we right. aren't doing that ourselves, then we're failing ourselves, but we're also failing those that work for us and the consumers mm-hmm. that believe in us. Right. So I think it, it's an important thing to think about as not just buzzwords, because I know it's really popular right now for DEI mm-hmm. to be coming up or what are those inclusion clubs or let's have pay equity, but are right. you actually doing it? 
are you actually putting your money where your mouth is? Is there transparency amongst your members to know what their pay is? If you get to this level, these are the ranges. If you get to this level, these are the ranges. Right. So that people can know whether or not it's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me, I was actually looking at, um, um, uh, I won't even give the industry because I don't want anybody who (laughs) is in this area who knows me. Um, I was looking at somebody's website, a company's website around here. And uh, while they don't have too many people working for them, they have enough. All of the professionals were middle-aged white men. The only woman in the entire group was also white and she was the administrative person. And I was just going, oh, wow. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it is just, yeah, the perspective is, is, Interesting. Um, so how do you, as being a, uh, I, I see you as a, a, well, as a female founder in this company and as uh, what I feel is a leader in this industry, a female leader in this industry, you know, kind of paving the way, how do you get more women in leadership roles in tech and, and fintech? That's a lot of work. It's not the easy route. <laughs> yeah. I really like uphill battles. <laughs> I was actually uh, listening to one of your podcasts earlier on climbing Mount Rainier, was it, right? And mm-hmm. and the failures and kind of bouncing back and, and recognizing that. And I, I really resonated with it because I feel like that is a big story of entrepreneurship in your life, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, And so I think women have to not be afraid of failure and that we are so terrified of it that oh, yeah. if we fail once, we're going to fall apart and we're never going to get another opportunity and we're never going to be able to prove ourselves. And maybe even mm-hmm. it triggers imposter syndrome. And we're like, well, we were never good enough to begin with. Right. And, and to get more women. And, oh, and women, don't forget what people are going to say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The rumor <laughs> right. mill is going to go. And then of course it's all in my head and it's just spinning around and around and around. And everyone's yeah. looking at me going, I'm sorry. It's just like you said, you see me as a female founder and a leader. And I'm like, really? <laughs> 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 we all have it. We all have the doubts and we all are, are terrified we're going to fail. And that's, I mean, if yeah. you look at even applications, women don't apply to things unless they meet 90%. Men are like 60%. We're good. Like toss it in there. What's going to happen? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so so it, it just, again, goes back to really intriguing psychology of it. But women have to overcome that fear of failure and even recognizing that if I do fail, it doesn't mean I failed everything. It means Mm -hmm. maybe that job wasn't the right one. Maybe I actually didn't have the opportunity to prove myself. Maybe it was lip service. Maybe Mm -hmm. it was the right opportunity, but I wasn't ready. And that's okay because I learned something and I'll be ready the next time and I can try again. And so it's going back to the first point of, you know, having somebody who's willing to stand up and allow you into the room and give you a voice and make sure your voice is heard. Absolutely mm-hmm. necessary. That's going to come from other women supporting women. It's going to come from men supporting women. It's going to mm-hmm. come from opportunities presenting themselves and somebody being willing to hire outside of the normal scope of, have you had 15 years experience in this? Um But it's also going to come from women applying because that for me is the hardest thing. I can't get Mm -hmm. women applicants. I have to go into networks and I have to spend hours and hours sifting through for for diversity because it's so much harder to get them to apply. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that only changes when they feel they have an opportunity to succeed. Right. Wow. That's a shame. 
I didn't, I didn't, I really never would have thought about that. Um, but you're, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those, yeah, cop, Captain Obvious moments. Um, but I just, that's a shame. That That's really a shame that they're just not out there applying for it. Yeah. And uh, it's, it, yeah. It, it ends up, it's a disservice to all sides, right? And I think it one is. of the things that makes companies successful is having diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. And you can't mm-hmm. get experiences and thought if you're only filled with the same people from the same exactly. schools or the same backgrounds or the same experiences, tech companies or fintech companies. And that's all they ever knew. They can't mm-hmm. think of it from the way that a consumer might, who's never experienced this, doesn't know what fintech is. Why would I trust that? Why would I want to be in there? What is this right. difference versus that difference? And and so you've got to have people who understand perspectives. Yeah, that makes sense. So shifting a little bit, why why do you feel that the banking industry and well, any industry, all industries for that matter, need to focus on kindness? I can answer this for myself because, <laughs> but but I would like your perspective on it because that's what you guys are actually doing. <laughs> I think everyone in the world needs to be more kind to themselves, to others. And I think especially right now. <laughs> absolutely. And yeah. and very much to ourselves in COVID. I mean, everyone's exhausted. The amount of, of antidepressants and anxiety medications is increasing. People yeah. are going like yeah. absolutely stir crazy in their houses. You know, the ebbs and flows of okay, mask mandates, not mask mandates, everything closing down, everything reopened, working from home and being by yourself 24 hours a day. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes on in my head I don't want to sit with. <laughs> so, so from from those sides of things, I think you've got to start with being kind to yourself and then you can be kind to others. And yeah. if that becomes totally part of your, your norm, then it's mm-hmm. absolutely expected that a business is going to be kind to you as well. Nobody right. wants to go into a business and interact with them if they're angry that they're there. Mm-hmm. I, I take, and this is total stereotype, but I take like the DMV for an example. No one wants to go to the DMV, right? <laughs> Why is that? Because people are unhappy there. They're not yeah. thrilled to be there. They're not thrilled with their jobs And people are maybe even upset because they have an issue with their license and they come in hot and then somebody has Mm -hmm. to deal with it. They ruin their day and then it passes down and it's stopping that cycle is really what comes to it. Right. And Mm -hmm. you have to be the bigger person, we'll call it, but Mm -hmm. that's, that's on the business. It's Mm -hmm. my job to not react to a customer if they're upset especially right. in our industry, we're dealing with finances, right? These are, these are people's livelihoods that you're dealing very with. Very hot. Yeah. It's very emotional conversation mm-hmm. for most people. Yeah, exactly. So you're already in an emotional state, whether that's mm-hmm. good, bad, or ugly. Right. And so if mm-hmm. we can use empathy to think about, put myself in your shoes, maybe mm-hmm. the payroll didn't come through in your direct deposit on the date you thought, because it usually drops two days early, but there was a holiday. And so it's not right. the day that you thought it was going to be or something. And then your bills are going to bounce or you're going to have you know, bill pays that were set up and something's going to go wrong. And you're right. frustrated and you're going to come at the business and say, you guys messed up here. Well, maybe we didn't, maybe it was a holiday or there was something with your payroll system that didn't go through or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But ultimately nobody cares whose fault it was. They want it fixed. Right. And so we need to do that. We need to think about what the other person's coming from and not hold a hard line of just, I'm right. You're wrong. I think that translates into everything in our lives. If you look Mm -hmm. at not to go totally into this, but politics, 
we've, we've lost the ability to have a conversation. (laughs) If you think about going into a a, a store, you're trying to get in and out and you don't want to deal with people, right? Because maybe you're scared of, of what, you know, COVID might be there, or you need to get in and out because you're in a rush to get to somewhere else or doing something, whatever it might be. But we've, we've lost the capacity for conversation and for, for Mm -hmm. empathy with each other. And I think that businesses have an opportunity to step in and, and course correct that. Right. You know, that's interesting. And, and it actually brought up uh, kind of a difficult memory for me. You said something, the grocery store, a lot of people, when you're in the grocery store, and, and we'll just use that as an example, yeah. instead of the DMV, let's not pick on those people too much. <laughs> we, <laughs> so, we still love the DMV. I need my life. We do so. love the DMV. And we love all of the people there that are helping us. But, you know, sometimes when you go to the grocery store, because they are, um, you know, they're, they're, they're shuffling through a lot of people and mm-hmm. especially on a Saturday or something. And, you know, those, those people can be very, you know, the, the, the shoppers can be very stressed out. So now your cashiers are very stressed out and they're just, you know, they're just I doing hope. their thing through, <laughs> you know, back constant, constant, constant. And, um, I remember shortly after my, my husband passed away, I was, you know, just kind of zoned out, but I still had to go to the grocery store. And, um, and it was before COVID really kicked in. Um, and I remember being at the grocery store at the checkout line and I was just literally, I was just zoned out. I had absolutely no (laughs) idea. You know, I was just going through the motions and, you know, yeah, autopilot. And the cashier was doing, you know, her stuff and she was whatever. And at the end, and I was paying, she's, she just looked over at me, kind of leaned over across that little, you know, the little shelfy thing where you pay. And she's like, dear, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And it was just, I just instantly started because it snapped me out and I just started crying. And she actually, mm, <laughs> she came out from around the thing and she gave me a hug. I'm like, who does that anymore? You know, who does that anymore? And it just really brought me out of that autopilot, that, that foggy zone into somebody actually care. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. And it really, it just meant, it meant so much, but people just don't do that anymore. They don't, mm-hmm. it goes back to what you were saying earlier. They don't, we don't communicate, you know, mm-hmm. it's just another person just going through the line and I don't care about them and they don't care about me. And, but we're human and we have to care about each other. So it's that really, that just kind of reminded me of that. And I was like, Oh, I'd forgotten about it. (laughs) And it's not something I want to forget about. Um, So how can, (laughs) how does a business go about incorporating the pay it forward and, kindness principle um, as a foundation for building their business or their company and corporation? I think that story you told is beautiful. And and that is a prime example of how you build it into your business. If that woman is encouraged to have those interactions and it's okay that it takes her 10 minutes to bag groceries as opposed to three, and she's not held to a metric that allows for that, mm-hmm. then she's able to have those human interactions and create them, right? But yeah. it really comes to the, is the internal culture of the company reflective of that external culture of care? And there's multiple companies out there. I think about um, Chewy. It's the the animal, mostly dogs, but food and and toys and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if a lot of people know this. If your pet passes away and you go to cancel and you find out, they'll send you flowers. Yeah. And a note, right? And it's that 
that internal culture that drives that, like, hey, we're doing this for our customers and this is important. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. anytime you interact, you remember their animal's name, you do these things. Bella does that with our own, what we call love data. We keep profiles on people based off of the information they've shared in their communications with us. So if you tap to type and you want to talk to a person in our app, uh, you can just say agent or help, and it opens a chat with a live person. And you can you can talk to that person to get the help you need. You don't have to go into the system and try to figure out what the AI if you don't want to. We understand mm-hmm. not everyone wants to deal with a computer. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> but it's having that person behind everything. And it's it's also remembering and being able to track back to the previous conversation. Maybe, you know, today you're talking to me and tomorrow you're talking to another person, Jim. Well, Jim's gonna be able to see that conversation. There's gonna be notes that I've left of hey, Christine told me this story about this woman in the grocery store, what this meant to her, this experience that she had, her husband had passed and where she was at personally. And maybe when Jim talks to you the next time he checks in and says, hey, Christine, how are you doing? Did anything nice happen to you today? And then that way you've got this sort of rapport that's already started. That's not just, Mm -hmm. hey, Christine, what can I help you with? Oh, you need Mm -hmm. to transfer money and it's not working. Cool. Let me take a look at that. It's hey, you're a person. I recognize that things in your life have happened and I want to make it better. How can I do that? But that's the internal culture. (laughs) Could you just, I just had this light bulb moment, which Mm -hmm. I I guess I should have probably had a long time ago. Could you imagine if every interaction you had with another, with a business? Because we have, if you think about it, we have a lot of interactions with businesses. Our utility companies. uh, Yeah, all throughout Mm -hmm. the day. Could you imagine if every but everybody interacted like that? Yes. I would just be. I don't. What a beautiful we, world! It, yeah, <laughs> I don't think I would ever hang up the phone going. <laughs> or even better, you know, you're you're not sitting on hold for four hours and then having to deal with somebody and feeling like you're talking in circles and why is right. no one listening to me and how can I escalate this to the next person? What if that right. person could just help you? There wasn't that we scale. To, <laughs> we need to introduce you to the cable and the phone companies. <laughs> If we you have a little love injected to there this, too. <laughs> we need to petition. <laughs> one at a time, one at a time. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Small steps. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. And I think that's the power of conversational, right? Is because yeah. especially ours, we don't have phones. Um, because in in our mind, nobody wants to sit on the phone waiting for somebody yeah. to be able to pick up, right? Right the beauty of conversational from our side as a business is that we can handle 10x the amount of conversation simultaneously because you think of it like asynchronous messaging. It's not a chat on your window that times out. It's a text basically, but it's in the app or it could be text message. And you know, you you missed me and I can't get to that moment, but you say, Hey, I need help with X, Y, and Z. Maybe give me a timeline you're answered within 30 seconds, but if it takes me three minutes to go find the answer, get the thing worked out for you, you don't have to sit there for three minutes. You can go about your day. You'll get a notification when I've got that information for you or it's solved or whatever the case is. And then you can write back and there can be a dialogue throughout your day that doesn't hold you from experiencing your day. And that's why we like it. There's also a log at that point, because then you can go back and you can see previous conversations. Maybe I sent you a link to go do the thing you need to do. You have to worry about, did I write that down? Did I save it? Did I do something with it? You can just scroll back up and say, oh, here it is and click it and do that thing again. And so you can now become self-sufficient, right? And Mm -hmm. you can learn, but you're not tied to, okay, 
who is the agent I talked to on the phone? And if this person didn't do the thing they were going to do, I've got to call back in and talk to someone right. else. Hope they made an, a note on the account. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it's, it's there in text. If you did it, right. it's screenshot it. Like, hey, here's, here's what they told me. You Love know, that. here's what's going on. Or yeah. actually on our end, we can look back and see all of those conversations too. What you talked about, what links were sent, the information that was logged. And then of course we have our personal notes on the, the important stuff we need to be able to remember and not search right. for. Excellent. So um, what what's changing in the financial space right now? What's what's the next next phase for Bella? Oh, what a loaded question. <laughs> 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 the financial space. Wow. Everything. Uh, <laughs> DeFi is becoming the new hot topic. Um, there what, are, I'm sorry. Wait, what is? <laughs> decentralized finance, DeFi. Yeah, uh, okay. yes, I, I forget that not everyone lives in my world <laughs> or in my <laughs> <Okay>. head. <laughs> but um, decentralized finance is is really taking off. I mean, we're reading articles constantly around the crypto millionaires and billionaires and Bitcoin and Ethereum and what can you do with these things and really intriguing things going on outside of the US even. There's mm-hmm. a, a company called Axie that really took off during the pandemic in Southeast Asia. Specifically, there's articles and, and videos if you look online around the Philippines where people were no longer able to work because of the pandemic. They were all relegated to their homes, taxi services couldn't run, food services, etc. And they ended up becoming huge users of this game where you could pay, you get paid to play it. So you buy an NFT that is your character. It has certain powers if you equate it to say Pokemon, right? And you play and as you level up, you gain these things they call potions and the potions can be traded for Ethereum and Ethereum can then be traded for your local currency. So they were able to make money and and support their families playing video games, right? Wow. And so that's just one example of something that's that's fairly tangible and impactful to someone's life. But that's the finance world. And that is really where I personally I think it's going is in this yeah. to yeah, to follow the the Facebook metaverse. Um yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but it it really is the the next frontier. And understanding that is so complex right now. I yeah. will tell you. I've been learning about this space because it's not something that I was massively familiar with pre Mm -hmm. the last year, which is so sad because it's been around since the early 2000s, but we're not going to talk about that. (laughs) 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 But I've been learning. Um, And and the the history of currency and the way that the gold-backed dollar and pound became the, the standards and then the gold backing went away and it became just really these useless pieces of paper that was a fiat, right? Mm-hmm. And and then how is that on its way to failure is really one of the questions that we're asking ourselves within the industry and within Bella, because what worked before cannot continue working. Right. I mean, if you look at the, the systems and you look at the history, and if we don't look at history, we're all doomed to re- repeat it, right? So yeah, let's try not to do that. But it's it's really become to a point that that it's not sustainable. And so what's the next thing? Personally, I think it's crypto. And and that's where we're going to go. It's definitely needs some some rails on it. It's sort of the wild mm-hmm. west as it stands now. Mm-hmm. And and we've all heard the, the history of the terrible things. Like, I mean, when the internet was founded, it was, it was all, you know, the dark web, really. Nobody knew yeah. how to use it or what it was. <laughs> and that's crypto right now, you know? And, yeah. and I think we need to be careful not to give it a, all a bad name based off of a few bad actors mm-hmm. and recognize that 
our computer systems and the programs and things that we're working on right now and that enable us to have these lives were mm-hmm. those things in the early 90s and 80s. It was, it was right. not utilized for all of the beautiful things it can be now. And so if we, we take that approach and we understand, okay, currency is going to have to change and wrap our heads around what that means and mm-hmm. why do we believe in, in our case, the U.S. dollar? Why is that the thing that we, we believe is so tangible and mm-hmm. that we believe has so much value when inflation happens and we actually devalue our money every day, right? right. <laughs> so, so this to an extent, the the DeFi universe, we'll call it, uh, puts the power back into the hands of individuals that has transparency. And that's where things like the blockchain come in. And this public ledger that's managed by multiple people on a regular basis, which is why it's clunky and slow. It takes 15, 20 minutes to make a transaction because it's got to go through how many people looking at it, agreeing, logging it, making sure that it's there. But it becomes a permanent ledger. To try to corrupt mm-hmm. that system means that you would have to affect multiple ledgers simultaneously in perpetuity. The capability of doing that is so minute that it becomes very, very difficult to become a flawed system in the same way. I'm not saying that okay. it doesn't have the capability to become a flawed system, but right. in the exact same way, at least we won't repeat the same mistake, right? <laughs> right. But but the decentralization eliminates the monopoly is sort of the concept. Um, if I put right. it into my my own personal layman terms, and so <laughs> so I think the financial industry is going in that direction, and we're trying to all figure out how that works. That's where you're seeing the SEC step in and say, okay, how can we regulate this? What is what are these right. currencies? Businesses are starting to accept them. What's the value? How does the value increase? How does it decrease? Why is it so volatile? Is right. it is it like the stock market or is it like the dollar? Is it you know like why are there nearly 35,000 different coins and which one means what and why would you want these? But they're all mm-hmm. created for a certain purpose, right? Mm-hmm. A coin a coin isn't just created because, well, I won't say that. Coins have been created just because they think they look cool. <laughs> but usually <laughs> usually there's a purpose to them and it, it interacts in a certain universe. You know, Bitcoin right. was the original. It's considered the backed standard. Everything is kind of equated to, oh, the Ethereum is X you know, amount of Bitcoin or something along those mm-hmm. lines. Ethereum right. came out of gaming systems. It was it was utilized as a currency within video games, you know, and then it, it sort of took off on a life of its own. And now it's become a, a thing to purchase NFTs, which right. in today's world is, is these, you know, art images and files. But that's not mm-hmm. the only thing an NFT can be. There's an article yesterday that came out. There's a, a person abroad that sold their home, but um, one in in the Tampa Bay area that is selling their home as an NFT. And if you think about it, all it is, is they've set up a company and you're basically buying that company and the company's only asset is that home. And so it's, it becomes the way that the world interacts in a digital space. And to see how these things become regulated, how they expand, it's really going to be the new frontier in my mind. And I think it's, it's a, even safer way to do it. If you think mm-hmm. about a contract as an NFT, there's constant ledgering. If you, I guess putting it into to more business layman terms, if you think about like a Word document and you could track suggestions and changes, mm-hmm. but if you did that in a public space that was forever accessible to everyone and monitored by 15 people instead of one, right. then 
you think about the transparency of how things were affected, what, how they changed hands, who owned what at what point, why did they own it? How long did they own it? What did they do with it? Did they rent it? Did they keep it? You know, and it, it becomes a, a really interesting traceable ledger of everything right. we interact with. So right. that was a very long answer to the financial industry part. <laughs> but, That's okay. That's okay. But on that note, <laughs> What's Bella doing? <laughs> can, can you can you tell us what Bella is doing in like a sixty seconds? You're <laughs> <laughs> like really five. Uh, no. <laughs> Bella's reimagining the way that experience happens right okay. now to be able. If I look at my personal holdings, and this again is just dabbling to figure out how this stuff works. I had to open two wallets. I had to purchase on three platforms. I had to bridge and transfer different coins from different, um, for like the Ethereum network to Polygon network. I had to do about seven steps to do that. And then I had to go and transfer it into another coin type to put it into another account so that it become a savings account. Um, Savings is sort of a loose term for what this is, but Mm -hmm. it's the idea behind it. So all in all, it took me um, probably like three phone of friends, uh, multiple discussion boards, uh, six different account setups and bridges. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I lost um, about $90 for every $100 that I moved in fees. Wow. Uh, they have something called gas fees that the companies you're interacting with don't take, but it's because of the Ethereum networks to the Polygon networks and the way that they, they charge for your exchanges because all those people that are doing those ledgers get paid to yeah. do that work. Yeah. And, um, and then you've got exchange fees and the volatility of the market. So you're, if you're losing 90% of your money every time you try to, like, this is insane, right? Yeah. Um, and so when you think about that, it's got to become easier. We've got to find a way that you can look at all your holdings without holding 10 different wallets. You have to be able to transfer things and not have to have a doctoral degree in, in computer engineering. <laughs> and thank goodness I have enough friends that are close enough to that, that they, that I could phone a friend and somebody could sit there and be like, Chelsea, push this button. I'm like, Oh, that's the one. Uh, so this is not something that you could very easily get into. And right. then you get into the craziness of like, what is mining? Okay, derivative math problems to be solved oh, by computers no, no, and no, no, no. getting no, to the no, like, no. yeah, to the millisecond to be the one computer that got that before the yeah, other computers, I tuned, right? I tuned out in college as soon as they started talking about derivatives. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Statistics was not my thing either. Let's just be real. So, <laughs> so if you think about it, it's not an easy barrier to entry. And that's I think where Bella can step in and create a really fantastic experience and bring that to the larger community with empathy to recognize um, no one wants to go through what I went through. (laughs) (laughs) How can I make that better? (laughs) And the compassion behind it of, okay, you've got a question. Let's get somebody in there to help you. And that's where creating experts and being able to contribute to that community and then be rewarded for it comes into play. And that's what Bella is about is creating an opportunity for people to contribute their strengths and be able to help each other and build each other up for the greater good of each of us individually. Excellent. I like that. I don't know if that was 60 seconds, but I tried. (laughs) I don't know either. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. 
You know what? This has been this has been very informative, educational, <laughs> um, terrifying <laughs> over my head. <laughs> but no, it's been it's been incredible, and I really, really thank you and appreciate you spending the time with us. Absolutely, so. it's, it's been a great time, and thank you so much for having me. I thank I you. loved rambling on about these crazy topics and forefronts of the wild west of finance, but no, <laughs> I could do it all good. day. Very good. So for the listeners, um, all of the, the, uh, links to Bella and all of that information are, uh, as always going to be in the show notes. So thank you for joining us today. And I really hope that you have found some value in this episode. So this is Christine Trumbull with Mastering Your Exit Strategy. Until next week. 